mistakes advisors make when transitioning to the RIA model. That is today's question on the Transition to RIA question and answer series. It is episode number 65. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RIA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RIA model. If you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, uh, you can find all of the resources I make available to help you better understand the RIA model. Uh, I have this entire series on video format, podcast format. I have white papers, I have articles, all kinds of resources available for you. Again, transition to RIA.com. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to talk about mistakes financial advisors make when transitioning into the RIA model. Now, this won't be an exhaustive list of every possible thing you might want to be aware of, but these are these are some of the more common things I see come up and uh, or that, that I uh, am exposed to in conversations with advisors as they explore the model and then and then seeing actually what happens in the marketplace when advisors are making that transition. So I did want to go over uh, today, on today's episode, I have five of them that I want to talk about. Again, mistakes that advisors make when transitioning into that RA model. Not an exhaustive list in no particular order, uh, but, I, but I do think you will find these helpful, <clears throat> sorry, to, to kind of think through. So the first mistake is not obtaining legal advice to help you navigate the process of breaking away from your current firm. So I did a whole episode on this about how to, how to go through that path and obtain legal advice to do this. But at a high level, it's very important that you do this process. So no matter what kind of firm you're at now, whether you're at a wirehouse firm, an independent broker-dealer firm, maybe even an existing RIA you, you assuredly uh, sign some sort of agreement with that firm when you first join them that most likely outlines certain parameters of things that can or can't happen, at least in the firm's opinion, if and when you were to depart. So it's important that you be aware of what that language is. And then, and then just as important, okay, what does that allow you to do or not do? And just as important, how to navigate those steps of actually leaving your current firm and how you can or cannot engage with your clients going forward initially as you work to make that transition. And so it's, well, well you can certainly pull that agreement out yourself and, and should read it. And, and certainly I will give you advice on that as well. There are specialty attorneys that, that this is, for the most part, all they do is understand what's in these agreements and understand what the marketplace is essentially allowing advisors to, to, to do and not to do as they make that move away. So it's very important uh, that you have that looked at. Uh, if you don't know where that agreement might be, perhaps you've been with your same firm for 20 years or so. Again, there are specialty attorneys that because this is their primary focus is helping with this, this one sort of thing, that they will typically know, as long as you're at one of the larger firms out there, that, oh, five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, this is likely what you signed and the parameters that were likely in that agreement. And so they can help you navigate that. Even if you can't locate the agreement, again, it would be better if you had it in hand. Uh, and certainly if you're at a, at a, at a firm um, that maybe has non-solicits or things like that, you would not want to go to your firm now out of the blue and say, oh, by the way, could someone please give me a copy of what I signed 15 years ago? Because that might be a little 
uh, a little heads up to them that you're that you're looking at options, and, and and oftentimes that's just not your best interest to do that. So if you have the agreement, great. If you don't, there's still a way to uh, to kind of work through that process. So again, uh, you, you want to look at and then and the couple of reasons here to make a point on that is. If you, in the news, every so often an article will come out about some advisor that, that ran afoul of their prior firm when they left. And, and almost in every instance, I always click on those articles because I always want to learn from them. Uh, in almost every instance, the advisor did something ill-advised. It was, to put it bluntly, they did something stupid. Uh, not, uh, you know, there, there could be exceptions, but, but in most every instance, it was ill-advised. So what I mean by that is, had they got that legal advice of what they should or shouldn't do, and just as importantly, they follow that advice, you often see advisors uh, not follow that advice when, when they do something that gets them tripped up. Um, and, and again, if you look at those articles, it's usually something ill-advised that a good experienced attorney would have advised that you not have done that. Um, of course, after the fact, it's essentially too late now, you're, you're in damage control trying to repair the situation. But again, that, that, that advisor can usually help you avoid those landmines before you possibly step on them and, and cause you bigger issues as you go along. Uh, also uh, important is you might have the benefits of the broker protocol. I did a whole episode on that. You can check out as well, uh, that that could benefit you potentially make the transition a little bit easier. Uh, so you wanna understand what your current situation is and what your future situation would be. And again, those specialty attorneys can help you understand, hey, will I be able to take advantage of the broker protocol? And if I can, what are these specific parameters of the broker protocol? Because again, it's a, it's a thing that could be advantageous to you, but you do have to follow it meticulously. So again, these attorneys will help you understand that as it applies to your specific situation. Now, you, you might also be thinking, okay, well, I'm at an independent broker dealer already. And so I know they, they in writing have put that I own my my book of clients. So I don't need, I don't need this advice. I don't need these resources. I know they're not going to come after me. And, and in uh, many cases, that, that will likely be the case. However, there are additional things, variables that you want to be aware of that <clears throat> you might still need to be familiar with. So for instance, there's privacy policies, Reg SP, or maybe your particular state has certain privacy rules over the data of your client's account and what you can or cannot take. Again, just because your firm might be okay with you uh, maybe taking certain client data or, or contacting your clients in certain ways, there might be privacy regulations either at the federal or state level that you need to be aware of as it applies to your specific situation, even if you're in that independent broker-dealer world right now that you might be departing. So again, uh, these folks can help you understand it. Uh, and, and like I said, I, I keep referring to specialty attorneys. And, and why it's important to go to that is there's a lot of just great... Um, you know, kind of generic contract attorneys out there that that uh, often I, I'll talk to an advisor and say, oh, yeah, I, I have a old buddy of mine that, that took a look at it. He does a lot of contracts. And the, the reality is th those kind of attorneys can certainly understand some of the, the more generic language in a contract. And I'm sure it can give some great advice on that. You really need these focused specialist attorneys that this is primarily what they do because they not only are good at interpreting that language, but they know what's happening in the marketplace. They know which firms are taking issues with which uh, steps that advisors may or may not be taken. So you, you just, it is what it is. You can't just go to a, a general contract attorney to have them look at your agreement. You want those specialty uh, attorneys and their specialty uh, expertise and knowledge. And, and so to sum up that, that kind of mistake, just point, point blank, if you're not willing to spend the money on a legal attorney, you should not be making the move uh, out of your current situation into the RA model. It is what it is. 
The cost, it's not measured in hundreds of dollars. It is measured in thousands of dollars. So there is some cost to it. But that, that is a bedrock of making a successful transition is having that good legal advice as it applies to your specific situation, your specific agreement, and, and your specific firm you're at now. So mistake number one is skipping that step altogether. Uh, if you want to know who some of these specialty, specialty attorneys are, feel free to reach out to me. There's some great ones in the industry. Happy to pass along some, uh, some names and contact info. Okay, number mistake number two. Uh, as you're perhaps exploring the RA model, you only look at or consider one firm or one model out there. And so I, I've talked on a lot of episodes. There are multiple different pathways into the RIA model. So for example, you might start your own RIA and build out all the solution providers yourself, or you might start your, R, your own RIA and lead on as they say, supported independence platform that helps you with a lot of that outsourcing in one big chunk. Or you might join an existing RA and there's all different kinds of flavors uh, and, and pros and cons to different kinds of firms you can join and what their value propositions are. And so the problem is if you only look at one firm, well, that one firm likely only offers one of those various pathways into it. And so ultimately that might be the kind of model that is best for you and that they might be the best firm to deliver that model for you. But if you only look at one firm, how would you know that? And of course, the, the story that they are going to tell when they talk to you is, is, a, is a narrative that will, that will help you gravitate your practice to their particular offer. And again, that might be where you end up landed, but it's important to understand, okay, what are these different models? What are the different pathways you could go into it? How do they differ? Uh, and and, and you've got to have just more than one just to understand what they look like and how they compare. Um, now, the counterpoint to that, and I come across this from time to time, is, again, you, you have to understand what those different models are. So it might be kind of simple to think if you go from one wirehouse to another wirehouse, you say, okay, yeah, it's different firms, you know, different culture, different value proposition. But, but for the most part, it's the same model. And I would argue that's, that's, that's generally correct. In the RIA model, there are multiple different ways, again, you could do this multiple different models that can support your practice. And so it's, it's a key of understanding those. And so something I do come across some time, time it happened just a couple of weeks ago, most recently is talking to an advisor and early on in our, in our engagement, our conversations. And he mentioned three firms that he had already kind of brainstormed that he thought would be good solutions for him. And he thought they were roughly all the same model and they, they weren't at all. They were distinctly three different approaches to support an advisor's now it's it's not this advisor's fault. That's that's part of why my entire business exists is because if you've been perhaps only at a single firm or single affiliation model your entire career, that's that's not the RA model. How would you know, or why would you know of all these different models and all these different firms unless you're spending considerable time, like I do, to understand them? And so in this case, the advisor thought he was going to be comparing apples to apples, and oh yeah, I think I, I know how this works, and and these would be three great firms. And, and ultimately, he might end up using one of those firms with his practice. But, but the, th the, the fact that he, he thought, again, it was apples to apples, and it was, it was absolutely apples to oranges. So again, you, you, wanna, you don't want to just look at these, these options in, in a silo and only look at one possible approach, one possible pathway. But it's also important to understand these different options, because next thing you know, you, you think you're doing so, and you think you're comparing apples to apples, and, and that's certainly not the case. So that, that is mistake number two. Uh, mistake number three, 
You don't uh, take the time to learn and understand the additional responsibilities that come with the RIA model. So I am a big believer. If you've listened to any of my episodes, watched my videos, whatever the case is, read my articles, uh, I'm a straight shooter. So there are additional responsibilities that typically come with the RIA model that you likely don't have now, dependent on your current affiliation model particularly if you are a W-2 employee advisor somewhere, there will almost assuredly be additional responsibilities you will have in the RA model that you do not have now. So it's important to understand what those are, because again, back to those different pathways into the model, uh, they each have various responsibilities uh, uh, that, that you will have to take on. And so with that comes pros and cons of each of these different models, each of these different firms. And keep in mind, your current firm has certain pros and cons, as you as you assuredly know as well. So it's important to understand, again, not just how they're different, what are the responsibilities? Is that something you are able and willing to take on? And, and how will you be rewarded for taking on that responsibility? And, and you will, and it's important to understand what that is. Um, but if anyone doesn't point out to you both the pros and cons of a particular approach, they're not giving you the full picture. So you you need to understand the responsibilities, how they differ in the pros and cons of it. And, and don't be intimidated by the thought of, oh, I'm going to have additional responsibilities in, in, in various ways. And so an example would be if you were to start your own RA, you will now likely have more compliance responsibility uh, or, or the responsibility for, for um, implementing a compliance program than you have now. Now, the beauty of the RIA world, it has is, it is grown to the point where there's an enormous ecosystem of solution providers out there that help you manage and fulfill these responsibilities. So from a compliance standpoint, there are all kinds of wonderful providers that will help you manage that responsibility successfully. And thousands of advisors have come before you and have made that move and have used these resources to help them manage those responsibilities. But you, you first need to understand, okay, what are those additional responsibilities? Am I personally able and willing to take on those responsibilities? And then how do I solve for them? What are the solution providers in the marketplace that will help me solve for them? Uh, but it is important, again, that you take the time to understand these responsibilities and understand how to manage them. Uh, mistake number four, you, you let the, the transition process take longer than it needs to be. So uh, I did a whole episode on this. You could, you could dive into more details on kind of how long does it take to transition into the RA model. Uh, and, and what I'm not referring to, I'm not referring to, oh, from the, the day you leave your current firm and, and officially launch, and there's a whole choreographed process that leads up to that day. Of course, you're, you're all hands on deck, full speed ahead at that very moment. Uh, as you launch your new firm, what I'm more referring to is that kind of process leading up until that kind of that go live date, if you will. And so to, to understand the RA models, such as the things I've been talking about here, the different pathways, the responsibilities, that does take a lot of time. Uh, that's measured in months, not weeks, to, to figure out all these options, to explore everything as necessary, uh, and, and to logistically set things up, whether maybe that is your own RA or to have uh, your paperwork ready to, to be able to go live. So th there, is, there is a process that does take, again, it's, it's measured in months, not weeks, even, even under the best of circumstances. But, but what I do see often is advisors that will uh, arbitrarily prolong that kind of pre-go-live pre process longer than it needs to be. And, and that presents some challenges. Now, there are some very good and valid reasons you might do that. Maybe 
maybe it's uh, near the end of the year and you don't want to go live right in December, right before the holidays. Uh, and, and that's going to make it difficult to maybe get uh, in touch with your clients as much. So there, there are absolutely some, some different variables involved of why you might need to strategically pick a date a little farther out. Uh, but there are oftentimes just this tendency to kind of kick the can like, okay, this is going to be a lot of work making that transition. And it is. Now, of course, it's worth doing. That's why so many advisors do it. You got to go through a lot of work in a short period of time and the rewards make it all worthwhile. Uh, but there is that process of going through that. And so sometimes it's just easier to, to kind of arbitrarily kick that can. Even if you've decided yes, this is best for my practice that I do this. Yes, I've done all my due diligence. I've explored the pathways. I've explored the responsibilities. I've chosen the solution providers I'm going to work with. Uh, and at some point, you just have to say, okay, we're, we're just going to do this. We're going we're gonna to pick a date. We're going to choreograph everything. We're going to line everything up and we're going to make it go live. But we're not going to arbitrarily push that process out any longer than necessary. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of why you don't want to do that. So the first one is, once, once the kind of the, the, the ship has set sail and you're going in this path and you're getting excited and, and you're going to do this and it makes sense, uh, you're going to take your foot off the gas of trying to onboard new clients. You're not going to go out there and do as much business development or prospect. And the reason is because, understandably, you're not going to want to bring a client on or bring a new client on knowing, oh, oh, in two months from now, I'm going to be changing firms or changing bottles or whatever the case is. And I'm going to need to then go back to that same client who I just onboarded and have them maybe do new uh, paperwork for the, for the new setup. And so as a result, during that process, you will take your foot off the gas a little of, of onboarding new clients. And so while you can afford to do that on a, on a short-term basis to make it worthwhile to make this whole transition, you, you don't want to make that, that, that time period where you're doing that any longer than necessary because you do need to continue to grow your firm. Uh, and so you will take your foot off the gas during this process. So again, don't arbitrarily make it longer than, than is necessary. Um, the next kind of related part to that of why you don't want to make it any longer is there will be some awkward conversations you have with clients. And so what I mean by that is, let's say you've, you've mapped out, you've choreographed the whole process of when you're going to go live. And, and it's a month before that period. And you have a client that you need to meet with or talk to for every reason. The clients asked for it. You, you, you have a reason to be reaching out to them. Uh, and you know, because, because this is all choreographed, all mapped out, that, that, hey, a month from now, you're going to be making this move. In most all instances, and again, this goes back to getting the advice from the, from the specialty attorneys, in most instances, you would not want to be divulging to your clients ahead of time that you will be making this move. It, it, there's just complications that come with that. And so generally, the rule of thumb is that you, you don't share the news with them until after you've left your current firm or current affiliation model. And so the challenge is you will have some awkward conversations because you will be meeting with existing clients and you know full well in the back of your mind, oh, wow, a month from now or two months from now, I, I, I'll be reaching out to you. And then they'll say, well, why didn't you, I just saw you a month ago. Why didn't you tell me about this a month ago? And you'll just have to explain. And unfortunately, this is how the industry operates. It was not appropriate for me to do it at that time. And, and I'm able to now and I'm happy to do so. So point being, there's no reason to make that, that period of time uh, where, where there could be those awkward conversations any longer than is necessary. So again, don't arbitrarily push the can or kick the can just to do so. Uh, and then the last point just on, on kind of the time period is once you've made up your mind to do this, once you've got all the steps in place, you're getting excited, you're making this move, you're going to independence, you've got to have your own practice. Uh, every little thing that your current firm does now that, that maybe aggravates you is going to be multiplied times 10. So 
but likely a reason you're leaving your current firm is maybe you want more flexibility or they're, or they're monkeying with your, your, your payout and it's, and it's squeezing you economically or whatever the case is. And so you likely already have a number of frustrations with your current firm or your current model. And, and once, you, once you get excited about making this move and, and, and it's in motion, you just haven't got to that go live date, trust me, every little thing is just going to needle you. Every little pushback from compliance everything is just going to be amplified in your mind times 10 and it will be very aggravating. So again, uh, just because you're, you're so excited about going to this better situation, this better uh, model, uh, and, it, and it's just going to feel amplified where you are now. So again, no need to arbitrarily make that period of time any longer than is necessary. Okay, the last one, uh, and this is a little self-servant for me to point out, but is that you, uh, mistake number five, you do not get independent advice about kind of all the things I've been talking about here. So this is self-serving for me to point out because this is absolutely what I do with my firm is to help advisors understand all of these different models that I talk about, all of the different firms and solution providers in the marketplace. Um, but it is important to have that independent advice. And, and I, I know this firsthand because I used to work at a custodian before I launched my firm. And one of the challenges that I struggled with is, is because I was at that one solution provider I was tasked with explaining to advisors how only that one solution would work. And, and as a result, there's, there's a particular narrative that's associated with that. Now, there's some wonderful business development people at all these different firms and models, and they are just doing their job and they are explaining, and that's what they're supposed to explain to you how their solution can, can help you with that. The challenge is they are not, by nature of what they do, necessarily going to say to you, oh, Hey, our solution works, but in, but in your case, because of your specific practice profile, you'd actually be better over here in this model or with this firm because they actually do something better than we do over here. Of, of course, they're not going to say that. They, they are in the business as they should be doing a wonderful job explaining their solution. Whereas if you get an independent voice, again, that's what my practice does, my business does, is to help you. I'm, I'm agnostic. I'm independent from any one solution. I can say, okay, here's how they differ. Here's the pros and cons of them. Here's why you might consider one over the other. And as you potentially explore multiple ones, I can independently help you think through how they compare and which might be the best for you. So again, you, you, you need that unbiased, uh, independent uh, kind of advice on it. And uh, again, self-serving for me to point out, but that's absolutely why I started my firm is to be that independent provider. Happy to have that conversation with you as well. So again, mistake number five, not having an independent perspective to help you navigate all of these options and understand all of the options to begin with. So like I said, my name is Brad Wales with Transition to RIA. Uh, and this is the sort of thing I help advisors with all these different steps and avoid in all these different mistakes from understand those responsibilities, understand the options available to you, Helping, helping you navigate that timeline of what it takes to start your own firm. Uh, happy to have that conversation with you as well. If you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, again, you can find all of my resources, the videos, the podcast, uh, white papers, articles, all kinds of resources. Uh, but at the top of every page is a contact link. If you click on that, you can instantly and easily schedule one-on-one -on -one conversation to have uh, direct conversation with me about your specific practice and whether you want to talk about today's topic on today's episode or anything else RIA, RIA related. I am happy to have that conversation with you. Again, transition to RIA.com. And with that, I hope you found value on today's episode and I'll see you on the next one.